Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Resting Place Carrollwood. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear. And we would love to see you at a gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org. Lord Jesus, we just thank you that as we start this series on Galatians, that you would just speak through your word. We just ask right now, God, that you would reveal to us whatever it is that you want us to receive. Lord, we believe that your word is our bread of life. It is the thing that sustains us. It is the thing that feeds us. And so, God, we just ask that as we just get together and gather around your word, that you would speak to our hearts in a way that we've never heard before. Speak to me this morning, God. Come on, just repeat after me. Say, speak to me, Lord. I am listening. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. How many are ready for the main point? The main point for today is we have one gospel. One message of the gospel. One gospel. There is one gospel. How many gospels are there? One. Now, there are several books. There are several gospels. Not to be confused with the gospel of Matthew, the gospel of Mark. That's not what I mean. What I mean is we have one gospel that unites us. And the word gospel in the Greek is literally the word good news. There is one message of good news. Now, we have been able to take that message and apply it in an infinite amount of ways. The application of the gospel is literally infinite. But there is one gospel. And as a church body at the resting place, today we're gathered and united with the Resting Place Tampa, and the Resting Place Wesley Chapel as we gather around together to study the book of Galatians. This is the first time the multiple campuses of the Resting Place have actually just decided we're just going to study a book of the Bible together. Hey. You know? And when I first heard that we were going to do a joined book study, I immediately thought, because Caleb, that we were going to do Romans. Anybody know about Caleb's, like, slight obsession with Romans? He's going to hear about this in the recording, and he's going to laugh. Don't worry. Edwin knows. (laughs) But we decided that we were actually going to take the next six weeks and cover the book of Galatians. Now, I love Galatians. I love this book. I've, I've, this is, man, this book has so much in it in relation to our life in Christ and in this new covenant that we share together. There is a difference between us, us and other faiths of the world. And the thing that makes us different is the gospel. I remember when I was 10 years old, my poor mother. We were in a drive-thru at Taco Bell. 
Because back then, you could get a Mexican pizza for $2. Can I get an amen from anybody? Can I get a hallelujah? Before this crazy inflation thing happened, you could actually get a Mexican pizza for $2. That wasn't even that long ago. Now, of course, no disrespect to real Mexicans in the room because what they serve at Taco Bell isn't actually Mexican food. But you know what I mean. And we're in line at Taco Bell, and my poor mother hears her 10-year-old boy ask her this question. Mom, how do we know that we are right as Christians? At 10 years old, I was already asking my mom, Mom, how do we know that what we believe is the right thing, and how do we know that what other people believe isn't they're right and we're wrong? And of course, my lovely Pentecostal mom, in very Pentecostal fashion, didn't answer the question, but instead rebuked me for even asking. <laughs> Ay, Dios mío, esa pregunta, that question, what is that? Lo reprendo en el nombre de Jesús. By the way, for those of you who don't know Spanish, that means I rebuke it in the name of Jesus. <sighs> My poor mother. How many guys know it's okay to ask questions in church? I just want to just state that right now. It is actually okay to come here with doubts and with questions. Doubts and questions are welcome. If, what, if the God that we serve is real, he shouldn't feel threatened by your questions. The only time an institution is threatened by questions or free thought is when it's man-made. But our faith is not manufactured by men. Therefore, you can poke as many holes in it as you want, or at least try to. But it will come up sure and true every time. So, of course, even from 10 years old, I was already asking the question, how do I know that what I believe about God is real? How do I know if I'm right? What, what kind of bold, audacious statement is it to say that I just so happen to be so lucky to trip or stumble upon the one true God? And yet billions of people around the world are confused or deceived. Even at 10 years old, I already started to have this question, like, wait a minute, how do I know if what I, if what I have is true? I'll tell you, my friends, you'll know right away by the fruit. Jesus says you will know them by their fruit. And let me tell you this. The fruit of the message of the world's religions will end up in inflated human pride. It does. Because the truth of the the, the truth about the world religions message is do good to get good. It is glorified karma and humanism. Go ahead and scan the messages of world religion and you will find that most of them, if you boil them down, 
will just be a set of principles and guidelines by which you were to live rightly before God or before an elevated cosmic thought. But not the gospel. The gospel stands unique and stands alone. As the only message that says there is nothing that you can achieve in your own goodness in regards to saving your soul from hell. The gospel says you don't have hope within yourself to impact your own eternity. The message of the world religions say, you know what, it's all of us making our way to the top of the mountain where we can find God. The message of world religions say we're climbing up this mountain and the, the more sanctified we are, the holier we are, the more disciplined we are, the more spiritual we are, the more enlightened we are, the closer we are to God. But that's not the gospel. The message of the gospel is the God at the top of the mountain came down to us. World religions is man's way of building its own tower of Babel to God. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is the message that God came down as a baby to die for the sins of you and I. You see the difference? Now, of course... In the book of Galatians, um, there's a lot of different themes. There's a lot. There's the themes of Paul defending his apostleship. There's the themes of, you know, the things of the fruits. We talk, we'll talk about the fruits in a few weeks. There's all kinds of things. But today we're just going to focus on Galatians chapter 1. Excuse me. And over the next six weeks, we're just going to go chapter by chapter. This is old school church. This is what they used to do in church like every week. They just open up a chapter in the Bible and there it is, you know. So we're going to be doing some of that. Is that good with you? Yes? All right. So what I'm going to do now is I'm just going to read through Galatians chapter 1. And normally I don't like to kind of just share free thoughts on Scripture. I normally like to come with my organized outline. I like to have my bullet points with my sub points. I even like to every once in a while prepare a joke. Like everything usually is very well prepared before I come up here and share with you. But not today. <laughs> today, this first part of the message, I'm just going to read through and share what's inspired or what sticks out of me. And then I'm going to get to the organized bullet points and such afterwards. Is that good with you? Is that good with you? Yes? Awesome. Nice hair, by the way. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm kind of jealous. Okay. All right. Galatians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle. And I'm, in, I'm reading in the New International Version if you want to follow along. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me to the church of Galatia. The first thing that stands out at me here is a lot of our ministry, a lot of the things that we're going to do in this life doesn't come from the approval of men. A lot of the things that we're going to be doing in this life 
um, most people are not going to understand. Most people are going to, like, wonder, where on earth did you get that idea? <laughs> who gave you the right to do this? I'll tell you who gave me the right. God did. Paul, an apostle sent not from men, nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me, to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of God the Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Jesus Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Which really is no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven... Does anybody know how the Mormon church was born? Ooh. Okay. But if we or even an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we've preached to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody's preaching to you a gospel other than the one you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. Amen, sister. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel that I preached is not of human origin. Listen, if it was born if the message that you're basing your life off of was born out of human origin, then you have the right not to trust it. Because humans are fallible. Humans are corruptible. Humans are liars. But the message that you and I believe is not from human origin. It doesn't come from a selfish, ultimately corrupted ideal. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how I intensely persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond, beyond many of my own among my people and was extremely zealous 
for the traditions of my fathers. Just so you know, we here at our church, we teach the Torah. We teach the law of Moses passionately at our church. But just because we teach the law of Moses, it does not mean we look to the law as our only point for salvation. If the law alone could save us, Jesus would not have to come. We still teach the law today in our Torah club. And from this pulpit, we teach the law. But the reason why we teach the law now is to teach people how to live honorably before the Lord, not to use the law as their attempt to gain salvation. Righteousness and right standing with God comes from faith in Jesus Christ and faith in him alone. In fact, the law, the Bible says, the law served to prove that none of us are righteous on our own. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. This also proves the fallacy of gurus. It's almost like us humans were so quick to idolize more spiritually enlightened people above us that we look to them as though they have all the answers. My friend, that person that you idolize, and this has even crept into the church where we look at some teachers and look at them as if they're more elevated than we are. Friend, let me tell you something. That teacher that you're idolizing will let you down. I wasn't planning on bringing this up, but I, was, uh, uh, I recently experienced this myself where I, I was a teacher out of the Kansas City House of Prayer has... Um, for those of you who know what I'm talking about, it's just a reminder that the Bible says in the book of Psalms, cursed is the man that puts his faith in mankind. Mankind. That guru, that teacher, that so-called enlightened person is just like the rest of us. He is a person that is in need of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles there before I was, but instead I went to Arabia. Later I returned to Damascus. This is a very interesting passage that I find also very relatable. Because at the time, even Yeshua, Jesus, um, told several people that, listen, I'm only here for the house of Israel. And, and even his disciples, right, they were like, oh, well, the Messiah has come for the Jewish people. And that's true. Salvation is for the Jew first and then for the Gentile. But this notion that now the gospel's been made available to everyone, Jews and non-Jews, what? This covenant that was 
of the seed of Abraham is now available to Gentiles, dirty Gentiles? No, I got to be careful with who I share this one with. You ever had a moment like that with God? Where God gives you an idea that's like, ooh, I can't share that one with everyone. Or is it just me? Am I the only crazy person here? It's okay if I am. I'm used to being the only crazy person. Thank you, Jess. Thank you. Sometimes the Lord might actually reveal something to you that's just so far-fetched. It's just so, oh, man, this is, this is not going to go over well with my friends. I tell you now, if that happens, then just let that thrust you into seeking him more so that you can find confirmation of his direction. God's going to give you some crazy ideas, and that's okay. Now, what I love about our church... <laughs> Is here, the crazier the better. <laughs> I love our community, yeah? Like, I don't know. Okay, sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love our community. The crazier the better, man. <sighs> After three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas or Cephas. Uh, many of you know him as Peter. And stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that I am writing to you, that what I am writing to you is no lie. Then I went to Syria and Sicilia, or Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report that the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. You know, it's so funny how I've seen God turn the hardest hearts around. My, my, my brother in particular comes to mind. My oldest brother used to make fun of me for my faith. I was made fun of constantly in my home. And now that brother is now redeemed, saved, following the Lord, and he's coming to me for advice. <laughs> My brother used to um, pick on me because I wouldn't want to talk about girls in a perverted way. I wanted to walk in purity, even from an early age. And they didn't know how to respond to that, so they just decided to just make fun of me. Oh, Joel, yeah, he's just, he's the gay one, yeah. No. They didn't understand what God was doing in my heart. But now they do. And I'm not saying that as a point of pride. I'm just saying that God can turn around people's hearts. The ones that persecute you, God can turn them around to come and actually ask you for advice about the Lord. Yeah, yeah, that's real. And the same thing happened here, but in a much more extreme fashion. This person that was once persecuting the church is now preaching the gospel. Isn't that cool? All right, so. I'm going to switch focus now, and I'm actually going to cover some of my notes. Um, there's a particular part in this passage that really stood out to me that I feel like we really need to cover. Are you still with me, church? Good. The highlight for today is I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ, and you are turning to a different gospel. 
which is really no gospel at all. I wrote down some notes about, number one, what is the true gospel? And then I have written down several examples of false gospels. Number one, what is the true gospel? The true gospel is actually found in Romans chapter 5. And Romans 5 answers the, the following questions. And I use Romans 5 as the framework to, to grasp what is the true gospel. Romans 5 verses 1 and 2. And then verses 8 and 9. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access. Everyone say access. We have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Verse 8, God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. That word justified is purified just as if I never sinned. Now, what have we been saved from? We have been saved from the eternal penalty of sin in hell. This is an uncomfortable reality, but we must hold, this is an uncomfortable reality, but we must hold to it because ignoring or belittling the eternal consequences of sin does not make sin go away. Jesus is the standard of which each one of us have fallen short and sinned against him. Without the grace of God and the sacrifice of Jesus, we would all share the same eternal fate of separation from God. I mean, I, I've had many conversations about hell with plenty of people. Um, to this point, I still believe that hell is still very real. And I was very much on my way to hell without the salvation of Jesus. So I was saved from this thing. I was saved from hell. But what was I saved for? I was saved for, what was I saved for? To exist as, eternal, as an eternal citizen of the kingdom of heaven. This is the greatest possible reality. Now I have been made a son in the Father's house where Jesus is building an eternal home for every single one of us. Where we will enjoy the delights of heaven's eternal banquet for all time. In an existence no longer affected by pain, suffering, sorrow, and death. Saved by whom? By Jesus Christ. Christians are saved from the wrath of God and the eternal consequences of sin by the righteous blood of Jesus, the spotless, sacrificial lamb who absorbed the wrath of God on our behalf. Only Jesus has the power to give us eternal life by his name, accomplishing what we never could. Saved how? We were saved from something. We were saved for something. We were saved by this person. But how have we been saved? By grace through faith. The truth 
says that I, the truth of faith says I bring nothing to the table. I come empty-handed, but Christ gladly gives himself for me. For faith is trusting that when I was dead in sin, Jesus did everything. Everyone say everything. Jesus did everything to purchase eternal life for me by his death on the cross and his resurrection to new life. And faith is trusting that Jesus did everything that I could not do for myself. Some of you might feel that this is a little bit elementary. Too bad. This is the gospel. This is the power of God. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God. Now, today I've collected for you seven counterfeit gospels. Ooh. Seven counterfeit gospels. What's that big word, counterfeit? Anybody ever um, worked as a bank teller or know a bank teller or have ever interacted with a bank teller? Okay, sweet. Hopefully most of you have interacted with bank tellers. Bank tellers, the easiest way for them to train to identify a counterfeit bill is to spend time handling the real thing. So what ends up happening is, you know, these these especially older times when money was still paper, um, these, these bank tellers would handle cash. And immediately, because they spent so much time with the real thing, they were able to spot the counterfeit. Well, the more time you spend just reading the Bible, letting God speak to you, you are going to be able to identify counterfeit gospels. The first counterfeit gospel that I'm going to tell you and I don't really like this one very much. I mean, what I mean is I wish, I'm the kind of person that wishes this was true. You know, I'm like, oh. The good people gospel. The good people gospel, this one says that we're all basically good people. We make mistakes. Nobody's perfect. But we're all good at heart. Now me, I want this to be true. I don't know. I like to think, I like to find good in people, just naturally. I, I want this to be true. However, this claim is wrong and it's dangerous. Because ignoring sin does not make it disappear. Recognizing, uh, recognizing sin means that there is someone to whom they will be held responsible. Even though our pride doesn't want to roll with this idea, sin is real. And it is a power that we must be rescued from. No one is good, not even one. Psalms 14.3, all have turned away, all, everyone say all. All have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Ready for the next one? The self-esteem gospel. <laughs> I, I, you know. The next two, I call them the Disney, the Disney Gospels. <laughs> the self-esteem gospel. This is, this distortion claims, believe in yourself. <laughs> you might have some struggles and issues, but you're resilient. You are your own savior, and you can solve your problems. 
This is a dangerous masquerade of the gospel. And it tries to paint sin as insecurities and negative self-image rather than calling sin what it is. Number three, another Disney gospel. You ready for another Disney gospel? The expressive individualism gospel, which says, <laughs> this one claims that uh, the true gospel is all about being true to yourself and following your heart. Anybody ever heard, like, when you're done with a Disney ride, there's, like, that little message at the end. But, like, what's true is that you follow your heart. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Nobody? You know? You know, the stars were inside of you all along. You know, that kind of thing? What do you say? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I call this, this is the Disney Gospels. Be true to your heart. Follow your heart. This idea runs counter with everything the gospel says. The Bible says that we were sinners whose hearts were deceitful. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. This is why God wasn't busy trying to heal our heart. He just gave us a brand new one. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature, new mind, new heart. Number four, the optional Jesus gospel. <laughs> this belief says that Jesus is a way, but not the way. A person can find their way to God through a number of different spiritual experiences. To say that Jesus is optional not only goes against the Bible's teaching about who he is, but thwarts the gospel. For if Jesus is not really the holy, righteous Son of God who came to bear sin, absorb God's wrath, and make peace with God through reconciliation so I wouldn't be condemned forever, there is no good news to believe. Think about it. If Jesus was only a way to God, he is either a lunatic or a liar. For the divine claims that he made and his sacrifice on the cross would be for nothing. Ready for number five? <laughs> the false prosperity gospel. <laughs> Please come back to church next Sunday. I mean, just <laughs> the false prosperity gospel. This distorted view of Jesus says that he guarantees his followers a happy, healthy life with no troubles. How's that working out for you? <laughs> oh. oh, wow. But the truth is that Jesus suffered. And those who believe in him will suffer as well. Because Jesus says in John 16, I have told you these things so that you may have peace. Because in this world you will have trouble. I live on the promises of God. Do you? How about the promise where he guarantees you're going to have some trouble? We must guard against this belief that Jesus is here to cozy up our lives and make every single thing easy for us. 
If we're deceived into believing this, we won't follow Jesus for long. For we will be disappointed, bitter, and even hardened to God when things do not go our way. But this is also a disclaimer to not make an idol out of suffering either. Any Stoics in the room? Where people almost make an idol out of the purity of suffering. Like we have to suffer to pu prove ourselves pure. That, um, listen, Christ on the cross made you pure. His suffering makes you pure. Your suffering allows you a chance to honor him. But his suffering makes you pure. The last two. You ready for the last two? Are we good? Guys, I know that this, is, this feels more like a class than a sermon. But this is very important. Like, I want these words recorded. And I want them part of our archives. That at this church, we preach the gospel. I know this isn't very, like, like super epic. But this is the truth. I, I, and I'm glad that we're recording this. Because this, like when they, when they ask us if we believe the true gospel, we'll have proof. That not only do we believe the truth, but we call out counterfeit gospels. You ready for the next two? The faith and gospel. This distortion claims that faith and something else is sufficient to save me. The faith and my good works. Faith and total following of the law of Moses. Faith and having a right understanding of God. Faith and requiring baptism. Faith and giving to the poor, or if not, I go to hell. And so on and so forth. The faith and gospel is almost an oxymoron. Because I find it hard to believe that God would give the salvation as a free gift and then require us to find a way to earn it. Why would God give us the free gift of salvation and then require us a way to try and earn it? I'm telling you right now. The law does not save us. The law serves to teach us how to honor God and one another. But it, the law itself needed to become flesh. The rhema, the word of God, the living word, needed to be embodied in the human flesh of Jesus. So that as a man, he can die on that cross. So that way he can be the purest and most perfect Passover lamb. Yeshua is our Passover lamb. And in him, we look to him the way they look to the bronze serpent in, in the desert. And they say, just look to the one who's lifted up and you shall be healed. You shall be made new. We needed the law to become flesh. I love that. I love that. Anybody, anybody chosen fans around here? Where they're like, Jesus, if you don't renounce your words, we're going to have to follow the law of Moses. And he's like, 
I am the law of Moses. I'm like, that's so gangster. But it's true. And this, by the way, is what separates us from Orthodox Judaism. This is the one thing that separates us. It's a very important detail. But I don't want us to ever think that we throw away the law. We don't. We don't throw it away. And this is where I think that a lot of churches have error. Or a lot of churches, they're like, oh, because we've been saved by faith, then the whole Old Testament's useless. No. Me and Carla were just talking about that this morning. That without understanding the Torah, without understanding the prophecies, the Messianic prophecies, without understanding, gosh, this gospel, oh, it won't be as rich to you as it would be if you took the time to understand what it took to release this word made flesh. You, I, oh, my gosh. To understand, like, what, what they do during the Passover celebration. To understand what's needed. Understand what the scapegoat is. The afikomen. To understand these things. This is why we teach about this in this church. Because why? We're trying to enrich our understanding of what salvation really was in Yeshua. So that's the faith and gospel. Ready for the last one? The faith so gospel. I have friends that they began to believe this gospel. And none of them are following Jesus now. I have friends that began to believe this gospel and every single time I see someone take on this gospel, every single time, I usually just wait because it will end up in error. This, by the way, this faith so gospel is actually what our, um, the book of Revelations coins as the, the, the message of the Nicolaitans. If you ever read the book of Re Revelation and you hear Jesus say, you, you hate the message of the Nicolaitans, of which I also hate, it's right here. You ready for it? Who's ready for the faith so gospel? The opposite end of the spectrum is the faith of the faith and gospel is the faith so gospel. The faith so gospel is what theologians call cheap grace. Which says, Jesus is my righteousness and perfection so I can live however I want because there's no consequences to my actions. This is error. Yes, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. But we are set free from sin's power to live for Christ. We weren't set free from sin or set free from the guilt of sin to sin without guilt. I'm telling you, this one right here, like, it's so funny how, like, all I'm, like, every time. David knows what I'm talking about. So it's just funny, like, how we were, like, growing up, like, a bunch of our friends were like, yeah, I lost my friend, my Christian friends, so, like, partying and, you know, doing drugs, and I lost my friends, like, my friends in church that don't go anywhere because whatever. And I'd be like, yeah, I lost my best friends to bad theology. <laughs> Such a weird thing. Like, where's that? I lost them to bad theology. Because my friends started to believe 
that because Christ died on the cross, the sin has no consequence. That all are saved. There is no hell. And what did they start to do? They started to welcome um, other faiths into their spiritual walk. And now most of them, if not all of them, don't even follow the name of Jesus anymore. I lost some of my closest friends to this. And now they look at me as like, oh, and they look at me as this nice little Christian that hasn't been illuminated quite yet. Yes, it is for freedom that Christ set us free, but he set us free from sin's power to live for Christ, not to remain in our sin and live any way that we want. To take it, the wrong advantage of God's grace and forgiveness so that sin abound belittles what Jesus did and cheapens the free, gift, the free gift of grace. Faith does not give us freedom to stay in sin. It frees us from sin so that our lives increasingly point to the Lord. song. This is my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I did not trust the sweetest frame, but only trust in Jesus' name. Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love. Through the storm, he is the Lord, Lord We have no hope within ourselves to claim that we have more elevated thought than anyone else. You and I are no, we're no more academic, we're no more, we're no better than anyone else. We're just people that God saw it fit to reveal Christ to us. Just like Paul. He's like, look, I'm just the dude that God saw it fit to reveal Christ to me. Uh, let's have those who are going to pray just come up. some of these. But I think what I love is that we, we in this church, we open up dialogue. 
and we open up conversation. And tomorrow at 6, 6.30, we're actually going to have a conversation about this. I know that this is going to spark a lot of questions, a lot of comments. And I'm happy to share with you tomorrow at 6.30. So if you want to continue this conversation, have an open dialogue, Chris is right there in the back. He'll give you the information on how to join our Digging Deeper tomorrow. And we can explore this together. I just don't want us to believe in a gospel that wasn't the one that was given to us by Jesus. Thank you for listening to this podcast from The Resting Place, Carolwood. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear. And we would love to see you at a gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org.